As you can see from the screen, we are this summer as a congregation going through the book of Galatians. And if you remember some of the context is that the Apostle Paul went into these cities, remember multiple cities in the southern region of Galatians. And when he would go in, what he would preach is the pure gospel, no additives. That Christianity is not about what we do for God. It's all about what he's already done for us through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's pure gospel. We messed it up. Jesus fixed it. It's all by grace. It's all a free gift. He gets all the glory. He's the hero. The pure gospel. No additives. And so Paul then would plant a church with that gospel and then move on next city, next city, and he'd move on. And what would happen after he cleared out of the area is that he had opponents come in on his heels. Traditionally, they'd been called Judaizers. It doesn't say in the text, but we know pretty much we can tell from the text what their message was. Their message was Jesus plus. Jesus plus something else. So, so yeah, you need Jesus to get you started. But, but you have to add something else in order to be okay with God or to be okay with us. And for them, it was Jesus plus being Jewish. Jesus plus the kosher diet. Jesus plus circumcision. And if you kept those things, then you would be okay with God. And what we learned the first week is that takes the gospel from pure to poison. Because remember, it's not what you add or how much you add, but that you add. And that poisons the very gospel. Still relevant today. I mean, we're not telling people to be Jewish, but our tendency is still to add to the gospel. That we make rules where God has not. And we say, if you keep these legalistic requirements, then you'll be okay with God and you'll be okay with us. If you remember from last week, from Pastor Jared's great sermon, uh, the problem was not just that the false teachers were saying this stuff, but it's that the church was buying in. Church is, plural, throughout those cities. They were buying into it. Remember, Paul said, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, deserting his gospel. He's pulling his hair out. He's just going crazy. And he says, listen, there is just one gospel. There's not another gospel. And if we or an angel preach you a different gospel, let him be accursed. There's only one gospel. And Paul says, I've got the real gospel. Now, here's a question. Says who? Says who? Listen, you understand everybody has a gospel that they believe in, some good news, some secret to life, some philosophy of life, positive thinking, just think positive, or the, the three ways to be successful, the five ways to be healthy. Everybody's got some message of life, some gospel. The problem is that they have no epistemological foundation. Write that down in your notes, okay? All that means is it's a fancy way of saying they have no basis or foundation for why they believe what they believe. How do you know it's true? That's epistemology. And so so the question is like, why do you believe that, that gospel that you believe? Says who? Who says Paul's right? Good question. So we pick it up in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. Paul writes this. He says, for I would have you know, brothers that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
It was revealed to Paul. That's a revelation. It was revealed to Paul by Jesus. So when you say says who? Jesus. That's who? God who came in the flesh, who died in our place and rose from the grave. Oh, that's who? Yeah, that's the one. Says Jesus. You understand, most people are just making stuff up. I kind of believe aliens came down and planted life here. Great. Why do you believe that? Oh, I don't know. I just kind of like it. Great. You know, like that, that's what most people have. Paul is saying, listen, I didn't invent the gospel. I received the gospel. Therefore, it is not the gospel of imagination. It is the gospel of revelation. It came from God himself. It's not from Paul nor any other human authority. It belongs to God. So let's say you go to a restaurant and you order a steak. My apologies to you vegetarians. I'm really sad for you on so many levels. But uh, let's say you order a steak and they, they botch the steak. Like it's just horribly done. Don't get mad at the server. The servant didn't do it. The kitchen did it, right? It's the cook. It's the chef. Or what if they give you the best steak of your life? Compliment, but don't compliment the server. You need to get the compliment to the chef. Paul is saying when it comes to the gospel, I served it, but I didn't cook it. Jesus is the chef. The gospel belongs to him. After all, folks, we would have never cooked up the gospel of the grace of Jesus. We'd never. We, we tend to cook up gospels all the time. We cook up a gospel of works, of religion, of earning favor with God. Other world religions are just that. Sometimes, unfortunately, we turn Christianity into just that. That's what we cook up. Or, or we cook up something very different from that. We cook up a gospel of permissiveness, of hedonism, of universalism. Oh, it doesn't matter what you do. Do whatever you want. God will be okay with you. He loves everyone. We, we tend to go those We would never have cooked up a gospel of perfect justice and perfect love meeting at the cross where God himself came down and took on human flesh and died in our place for our sins. And it's a free gift. It's all grace. We don't work for it. All glory to him. All worship to him. We would have never cooked that up. It's the genius of God himself. The gospel belongs to him. Now, that means there are a few implications that the gospel belongs to God. The first implication is this. We have no right to add to it. It doesn't belong to us. So so we have no right to add to it. It doesn't matter if you're an angel or an apostle or a pastor or a pope. doesn't matter. It's not up for debate. The gospel doesn't belong to you. You have no right to add to it. Pure gospel, no additives. And the second implication is very appropriate for our time and culture because we are increasingly in a post-Christian society. Because of that, the implication here is that the gospel, because it belongs to God, the gospel's never threatened. You understand God never feels threatened. His gospel is never threatened. The gospel of Jesus Christ is anchored in the throne of Jesus Christ, and that's not going anywhere. So while we're called to preach it, while we are at times called to preserve it, we can relax. We don't have to feel threatened. We don't have to be defensive. We don't have to be snippy because that gospel's not going anywhere. It belongs to God. 
we can relax and not be defensive in a post-Christian society. All right, so what we have so far is that this gospel comes from God. It belongs to Jesus. Now, Paul's at this point in the letter, and he's thinking, okay, how can I, um, how can I show them the glory? How can I show them the impact? Of the, I know what I'll do. I will tell them my faith story. Some of you have heard it called a testimony. Paul is going to share with us his faith story, who he was B.C., before Christ, and then how God invaded his mess, and then what, what was the impact, how God transformed his life. He's just going to tell us his story. And we'll see that as we continue, starting in verse 13. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Okay, we'll come back to it, but we'll stop there for a moment. Paul's given life B.C. And what he's telling us is that he is a Pharisee. Now, he doesn't use that word there, but from Philippians, we know that Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Okay, he was very, very zealous as a Pharisee. Uh, he, particularly, he like had a perfect religious resume. It says in there that he was advancing beyond his own peers, the people of his own age. Like Paul's parents had a bumper sticker on the back of their camel that said, my son is an honor student at Pharisee Academy, right? It's something like, that's, that's what's going on there. He was cream of the cream of Jewish Jews, you know what I mean, like Pharisees. Now, we don't tend to have Pharisees today, well, kind of though, we do. Think of the super, super religious guy, uh, the one who doesn't cuss, doesn't smoke, doesn't drink, won't watch more than a PG-13 movie. And that guy who can, uh, he knows where anything is in the Bible. Oh, well, that's in Habakkuk, right? And he can do that, and he can probably just quote it from memory, right? The guy who's very comfortable praying out loud at community group and has these really eloquent prayers, a great Christian resume. This guy might be a deacon, might be an elder, might be a pastor, but also this guy is very judgy, very harsh, very critical, very arrogant and prideful and self-righteous. This person is religious, but doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is life-transforming. That's the guy Paul is saying, that was me. That was me. So he not only talks about his life as a Pharisee in there, but he also talks about the fact that he was a persecutor of the church. He says, I tried to destroy the gospel. Did it work? No. Why? It belongs to Jesus. It's not going anywhere. It's not threatened. Right? Didn't work. But what he admits in there is he says, I did very bad, violent things in the name of religion. And sadly, that's happened throughout the years. Doing bad things in the name of religion. But what you notice in there then, Paul is not trying to hide his junk. Paul is writing it down in the eternal word of God 
for all cultures to read for all eternity to look at Paul's filth. He's, he's printing it in his testimony. And what he's saying is, I was empty. Because I accepted a gospel of works, a, a Jesus plus kind of thing, it wasn't Jesus, but, but works-based salvation, Paul was saying, it, I was empty. I've been there. I've done that. I got the t-shirt. It didn't work. It, it, Paul's saying, listen, that made me an enemy of God, not a son of God. Paul is not anti-Jewish. He's not, listen, he's zealous for the law. He's zealous for Israel. But he knows it doesn't work for salvation, for peace with God. And therefore, Paul cannot possibly abide them buying into a gospel that includes religious works. Because he knows that will poison it, it will destroy it, it will destroy their own lives. And he knows that and he doesn't want that for them. And so what he's doing is he's telling his story that that kind of stuff you guys are flirting with right now, it poisoned my life. And I was empty and I was messed up. But God, but God, God interrupted that. And so what we see is that while he was on the road to Damascus, now these are details we have from, from Acts, but he's on the road as a persecutor of the church. He's on the road to go to another city to arrest more Christians, to have them beaten and imprisoned, to do bad things in the name of religion. And while he's on the road, but God, Jesus showed up big. And he invaded and he interrupted Paul's mess. And what you see in this passage is a change of subject. See, if you look at it first, in his life before Christ, it's all first person. I persecuted the church. I advanced in Judaism. I was zealous. But in verse 15, you get a but when God shifts subjects. God set me apart before I was born. God called me by his grace. God was pleased to reveal his son to me. And his point is that Paul messed it up, but Jesus fixed it. Remember, I told you two weeks ago, you add nothing to your salvation but the sin that made it necessary. Jonathan Edwards, right? That's what Paul's saying. And specifically, he says that he was chosen before birth. Now, I know that makes some of you start to wrestle mentally, but he clearly says, I was set apart before born. And yes, God chooses his people. Some people think that's a prideful position. No, listen, you don't understand something. <clears throat> if I think I choose God, the thing that makes me a Christian is that I'm better than non-Christians. I'm smarter than them. I'm more spiritual than them. I'm a better religious person. That's why I chose God. That's why I'm a Christian. Paul says, time out. That's not it. The, the locus of why I am a Christian is not in me. It's in God. God chose me. Why? I don't know. I was chosen by grace and set apart before birth. So what he talks about there is an efficacious call, that the call necessarily has an effect. He says, I was called by his grace. Notice, not by my works, but simply by his grace. What that means is that when God calls, God always gets his man. Oh, sometimes it takes a while, <laughs> like it did with Paul. But God always gets his man. Parents, you know, like when you call your son to dinner and he's playing video games, and he says, I'm coming. 
and you realize that I'm coming doesn't mean that he's coming. Like, it's a very different thing, right? I always got that boy to the dinner table. It took a while, but I got my man. That's what God will always get his man when he calls. Maybe a better thing to think about uh, for an efficacious call is think about when, when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. It was anchored in the very authority of Jesus. There was no doubt about it, no question, no debate. And by the way, the scripture says that before God moved in our lives, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead. Dead things don't raise themselves. Dead things don't choose God. Dead things don't choose anything. But God called us by his grace back to life. It was by grace. And so Paul says he was set apart before birth. He's called by grace. And then you see in there, it says he revealed his son to me, which means God hunted him down. Listen, Paul did not find Jesus. Jesus found Paul. Jesus hunted him down and found Paul. And that phrase could be rendered as, he revealed his son in me. It'd be a, a good way to translate that which means he had an encounter with Christ himself on the inside. Not some distant God out there, but like right in here, in my heart. It was relationship, knowing him personally, not knowing about him. That's what's being said there. So Paul is just telling his faith story. But listen, you got to catch, he's, he's using his story to point to Jesus' story. Like he doesn't leave that part out. He, he weaves the gospel right into it because Paul's story is not going to help anyone. Jesus' story does. He uses his story to tell Jesus' story. And what he's doing is he's saying, listen, people, it's not what you think. It's not religion like you think it is. That's not it. Being Jewish didn't make Paul okay with God. So why would it work for the Gentiles, the non-Jews? That's, that's silly. What made Paul okay with God? He was set apart before birth. He was called by his grace. Jesus revealed himself to Paul. Basically, what made Paul okay with God was all Jesus, no Paul. Pure gospel, no additives. Now, what we're seeing so far is we're we're seeing Paul's story B.C., before Christ, and then how God invaded his mess. But there's more to, to this story than just that. So let's continue. We're going to pick it up in verse 15 again. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia And returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. What Paul's doing is he's offering his life as proof, as evidence for the impact of the pure gospel of grace. And what you might not have caught is that he's walking them through our mission statement. You know our mission statement? Know, grow, go. 
Know Jesus personally. Grow in relationship with him. Go advance his kingdom. Now, Paul has already talked through no, the Damascus Road experience where Jesus was revealed to him and invaded his life. Came to know him personally. But in here, we also have grow. Did you notice it said he didn't immediately go up to Jerusalem, but instead he went away into Arabia, and it was for three years. The deserts of Arabia. What's Paul doing there? We don't know for sure, but I have a suspicion. I think what's going on is Paul is for three years pouring over the Jewish scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. And he's having these light bulb moments. He's reading through and going, oh my goodness, there's Jesus. Oh my goodness, the Messiah. Oh my goodness, the cross. Oh my goodness, Jesus. Like, listen, remember after Christ's resurrection, he walked on a road to Emmaus with two disciples and he told them, he took them through the whole Old Testament and said, there I am, there I am, there I am. I think Paul's having that moment. And in the midst of it, he's learning about Jesus. He's getting to know Jesus. He's building a relationship with Jesus. But he's doing it in the desert. Hey, listen, you know deserts are desolate, they're hot, and they're hard. But Jesus is in there with him. And he's learning to trust in Jesus in the midst of the desert. And he's walking with Jesus because Jesus is right there. He's getting to know him, getting to know him personally. His life is being changed by grace. He's realizing all the implications of grace, not works. And it's just transforming his life. It's great preparation. Because after grow comes go. To go advance his kingdom. And so we'll continue looking at our passage. Again, we'll grab verses 15 and 16, but then we'll get to the end of our passage. It says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And we go to the end of the passage. It says, Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. That's the goal right there. So here it is. Go advance his kingdom. Hear this very clearly. Every conversion comes with a commission. Every conversion comes with a commission. And so God, from before Paul was born, set on part, had a plan, had a mission, had a purpose for him. Because God does not build dead ends. God builds through streets. And Paul was supposed to be a through seat. He's specifically called as an apostle to the Gentiles. I love this. God's got a great sense of humor. Because as a Pharisee, Paul would not only be into Jewish law, but he would be very steeped in Jewish culture. And Jewish culture was very racist. Jewish culture said, Jews good, non-Jews, or Gentiles bad. Gentiles are disgusting. God loves us people. God hates them. And so God says, you're going to be an apostle of the Gentiles. God is a great author. He writes wonderful, wonderful stories. And this is a testimony to the grace, the way grace changes people. So Paul shed all that. Just loving Jesus. 
And people were shocked by the change in Paul's life. So much so, did you see in there, they noticed, they're like, hey, the guy that used to try to kill us Christians, he's now preaching? He's a missionary for Christ? No way. And Jesus is like, way. Because that's what I do. That's my art. That's my thing. That's what Jesus does. Listen, God doesn't tweak people. God transforms people. Okay, He's not a mortician putting makeup on a corpse to make it look better. He's the one that raises them from the dead, brings them back to life. He's not a mortician. Religion tweaks people. Uh, 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 Works-based theology tweaks people. The gospel of grace transforms people, raises them from the dead. Paul's experienced that. Now, does that mean that Paul was sinless? No. Does that mean Paul was perfect? No. But listen, when God invades your mess, he stays there. In the person of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit invades your heart and he takes up residence right there. And the Holy Spirit bears fruit over time. But but notice this. The changes come as a result of the presence of God in my life. It's not that the changes earn the presence of God in my life. That's not it. But when God comes in, he changes things. You've heard me say before that God has enough compassion to receive you just the way you are. But he also has enough compassion to not leave you like that. And so he makes changes. So, So what we see here is Paul's life is like this huge apologetic for the gospel. He's just using his faith story to point to Jesus' story, to point to the gospel. And notice, you cannot display a changed life by hiding the bad stuff. So Paul writes it down for all to read. He actually brags about it to to make Jesus look good, to make the gospel look good. That's what he's doing. And the result is, look at the last sentence. And they glorified God because of me. That's the goal. Paul is using his story to bring glory to God. Now listen, religion, works, legalism, circumcision. Like nobody goes, wow, God, you're awesome for that. Glory to God. No. No, nobody does that. But what if? What if? It's all by grace. What if Jesus did it all, like all of it, and he's the only hero of the story, and we are saved despite ourselves. It's a free gift. It's all grace. We we say glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, and we worship because it's stunning. It's stunning. You see, redemption stories bring glory to God. Maybe you've caught our new vision statement. Nope. Nope. Whoa, okay, there we are. Here's our new vision statement. It says, watching Jesus write countless stories of redemption for messy people like us. That's what our church is about. Watching Jesus write. It's his art. It's his glory. He does it. He's the operator, not us. And we're watching him do it. And and what it does, all that does is bring glory to God. 
and, and listen, since the gospel is all about the glory of God, every time we try to add something to the gospel, we are trying to diminish the glory of God. We're trying to take some glory for ourselves. Nope. Pure gospel, no additives. Worship flows to God, no one else. So, so, so there it is. It's no it's grow and it's go. It's that God has a purpose for Paul. He's not into dead ends. He's into through streets. And he's still in that business today. But sometimes we don't see that much, do we? There were some Christian leaders not too long back that were together and they were lamenting the current state of the church in America, the modern church, and the lack of leadership and how some great leaders are dying off and some are falling and Who's going to lead us? What's going to happen? There's a very wise man, Dr. Carl Henry, said this. He said, why you speak as though Christianity were genetic? Of course there is hope for the next generation of Christians. But the leaders of the next generation might not be coming from the current Christian establishment. They are probably still pagans. Who knew that Saul of Tarsus was to be the great apostle to the Gentiles? Who knew that God would raise up a C.S. Lewis, a Charles Colson? They were unbelievers who, once saved by the grace of God, were mighty warriors for the faith. The, not, the next Jonathan Edwards might be a man driving in front of you with the Darwin Fish bumper decal. The next Charles Wesley might be a misogynist, profanity-spewing hip-hop artist right now. The next Billy Graham might be passed out drunk in a fraternity house right now. And I would add that the next Jared Williams might be a cat lover right now. You have no idea the power of the gospel to transform lives. That was going to be a Michigan joke, but we've done it too much. We can't, we got to stop, got to stop. The gospel transforms. Look, uh, we've been looking at Paul's story, and what we're seeing is that he did know, grow, and go. That he, there was a life before Christ, and then God invaded his mess, and there was impact. He was transformed, and he was a man on a mission. And he's using his story to point people to the gospel of Jesus and bring glory to God. Okay? Enough about Paul's story. What about your story? What about your story? Do you know Jesus Christ personally? Like, do you have a redemption story? Religion? Nope. Works? Nope. Jesus did it all for your sorry butt on the cross. That's it. It's all grace. Yes. Jesus is a great author, and he is not into tweaking your life. He is into transforming your life. He doesn't want to put makeup on your corpse as a mortician. He wants to raise you from the dead. Let him interrupt your mess. Let him turn your Saul into a Paul so that you are finally free. Free like you've never been. You are at peace with God. And you are secure in the love of God because it's anchored in Jesus, not in you. I want that for you. And then I want you to grow. Remember, remember Paul grew in the desert. Hey, don't scorn those desert times. Know that Jesus is right in there with you and you're getting to know him, getting to rely on him during the hard times because your desert season is a preparation for your commission. 
grow, and then go. What, what was the purpose of Paul's transformation? Was it that Paul became an end unto himself? God had a design, he had a purpose set apart before birth to become a, an apostle to the Gentiles. He had a purpose for Paul, and he was then going to use his story to raise up more faith stories who would be worshipers of God right alongside us. Okay, so what about you? Listen, the universe doesn't need you. Sorry to bust your bubble on that, but you understand, the universe doesn't have to have you. The universe could exist completely without you. But God, God in his infinite wisdom and will specifically decided to create you and inject you in the universe. He chose a universe with you instead of a universe without you. And what that means is that God has a purpose for you. He has a mission for you. He set you apart before you were born to do something for his glory, for his gospel, for his kingdom. He does not intend for you to be a dead end. He wants you to be a through street for his story. And so what I want you to think about is what did God bake into you that he intends to use for his glory, for his gospel, for his kingdom? What did he put in you? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your faith story ready. And I want you to get it tight. Notice Paul's was pretty short. And I want you to tell it often and tell it well. Your story is who you were before Christ and then how God invaded your mess and then how he's been transforming you. You're not perfect, but God is in the process of like loving you and changing you from the inside out. That's your story. Now, some of you hear that and you freak out and you're like, oh, I don't know how to do that. Love you. So, we have a, a resource for you. What I want you to do, you can take out your cell phones right now. Take them out. You text the word STORY to 330-294-0249. Text STORY to that and we will send you a Listen, if somebody's listening to this down the road and you're in your car, don't text and drive. But... But for you guys, text it, and we will send you a link to a resource that helps you put together your faith story. Why? Because I want you to tell it often, and I want you to tell it well. I want you to use your story not to talk about yourself, but to point to Jesus' story, to tell people the gospel. It's got to include the gospel. Your story won't help anyone. Your story will help them if it gets them to the real story. That's Jesus' story. Tell them the gospel. Get that ready. For some of you, your friends are going to say, like, okay, dude, who are you to be preachy about God? And I want you to say, exactly. Precisely. Don't hide it. Don't paper over your mess. You own it because that's a wonderful setup to the gospel. And you say, listen, I just... I want to say you're right, I was completely a punk, but God interrupted my mess, and and I'm still a mess and I'm growing, but it's my great desire that you would understand grace like I've understood grace. I don't deserve it, you don't, yeah, I agree, I don't deserve it. I want you to know that he can interrupt your mess and he can transform you by grace. Listen, God sets you apart from birth. 
And I want you to tell your story often, and I want you to tell it well. In fact, here's the challenge. I want you to tell your story and use your story to tell Jesus' story. I want you to do it three times this week. Now you're in a text, right? (laughs) Tell it three times this week, or at the very least, tell it once. Use your story to tell his story, all right? Let me pray for that. Father God, we come before you right now as people who cannot paper over our mess. But we got to just be honest that we didn't fix it, Jesus did. You invaded our mess and it had nothing to do with us, all to do with you and with Jesus, with the cross, and we're grateful. And so, Father, we want full source. We want no grow and go. Would you grow us up to be more like Jesus, to wow us with the implications of grace that it would just change us from the inside out. And then would you use us, put us on a mission, You would use our stories to point to your story, to lead to more people worshiping you and giving glory to you. And we ask for that in Christ's name.